We're back after something of a hiatus. <clears throat> we, uh, you know, through holidays, staff changes, everything else. We haven't done a Purple and Bold episode in quite a while. But I'm here with Katie Harper in the uh, in the studio at the Daily News Record. Back to talk more JMU sports. We'll get in heavily into football here a little bit later. Uh, but right now we'll start with basketball uh, in season. They've made the turn on the uh, midpoint of the conference season for both men's and women's basketball. Uh, <clears throat> successful start so far for both the men and the women. We'll start with the Jamie women coming off a big victory at Marshall where they handed the Thundering Herd their first conference loss. Um, I know, Katie, you've been out to see the women a few times. What, what's been your overall impression just kind of, you know, watching them as you kind of get into – covering JMU sports again. Uh, Peyton McDaniel's really good at basketball. That's been yeah. the biggest takeaway so far. Um, obviously, the win against Marshall was much needed, especially after, I guess it was like a little bit over a week before that they had played Marshall, and I don't think anybody within that program was happy with how they played at home against Marshall, so going on the road and getting that win was definitely a big one. I, I know Coach O'Regan was – I covered that – Marshall loss and he was not thrilled with how they handled the press so I think it was a big big victory for them yeah and you know you mentioned Peyton McDaniel they don't have her um in that in that first loss for for a good chunk of it and you know she got off to a hot start in that one they were winning that game she apparently gets sick doesn't play much in the second half and they look at a completely different team with her for the most part in the second game they also made some definitely some changes how they attacked and how they defended Marshall. But, you know, talk about how good Peyton's been, really, especially since conference play started. She didn't shoot the ball very well in non-conference play at all. Um, in a league where there's some really dynamic scorers, she's been right up there in conference games um, with her ability, especially for as balanced as JMU has been in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think – Peyton brings like a calming presence and that loss to Marshall. I think it was two minutes that she played in the second half. And prior to that, she was perfect shooting the ball, both from three and from field goals. And it took until the fourth quarter, about halfway through it for someone to even get to her point total for the game and pass it. So I think she just brings such a calming presence now. I mean, she can get the crowd back into it, but at the end of the day, when they need a spark, especially in conference play, she's been the answer. Yeah. And, Shonda Regan's always talked about how he has a lot of faith in her. She's always going to be somebody he expects to come around. And she played well early in the season. You know, she's been having a career year as far as rebounding and some other things go. But she was not shooting well from three-point range early on. And, you know, it was just kind of a law of averages that if she shoot 20% early in the season, she's going to have a stretch where she's shooting almost 50. And that's what we've seen. And when she's shooting that well, Jamie's proven to be really hard time. For, for anybody in the Sun Belt to beat. Sorry, I was reading something. <laughs> yeah, but in addition to, uh, you know, Peyton McDaniel, uh, they've gotten a big season so far from Susha Kozlova. Um, you know, really, you know, as much as we talk about, you know, three-point shooting and everything for this team being the press – you know, one of the biggest difference between JMU and the rest of the Sun Belt is having a center like her, and then you're bringing Anna Goodman off the bench, who 
you know, there are other six three, six four centers in the conference. Nobody has two like that that are, you know, as big and as skilled as those two happen to be. That's been a big advantage for JMU when they've been able to take advantage of it based on style of play. Yeah, and I know you put out an article about it. I think it was after the first game I went to about the JMU women. They seem to always open with that first play to Susha, and more often than not, it ends with them scoring. So I don't know why I wasn't expecting her to be as kind of tall as she is, but then when I saw her in a press conference for the first time, I was like, yeah, this makes sense why they keep getting so or so many rebounds and can keep playing the ball really well. Yeah, and I think you know it's always been an emphasis for O'Regan's teams rebounding the ball and everything, but he really made that uh, the, the main emphasis for his team going into the season. I think knowing uh, the kind of size they were going to have and, you know, like I said, other teams have size. Most teams don't have size and athleticism the way JMU does, especially at this mid-major level. So, you know, they, they still got a ways to go if they're going to catch Marshall in the standings. Uh, they can't really slip up again. But um, for the most part, I think it's been a pretty successful regular season so far. Yeah, I think it's been pretty successful. And I'm obviously, like you said, it's going to – they need Marshall to stumble to kind of catch back up to them. But at the end of the day, I do think this team – can make a good run once tournament play comes around too. So I'm not sure how much they're worried about climbing the sta- uh, standings back in the regular season. Yeah. <clears throat> and as we record this on a uh, Wednesday afternoon, you know, some people might listen to it after Wednesday night's game, but um, for both the JMU men and women, they're getting into the, the max Sunbelt challenge here later in the week. Um, you know, I think that's maybe even a bigger deal for the women, the way things have shaked out. Um, because, you know, neither team's probably – neither's conference for men or women is really probably looking at a multi-bid situation. Um, but for the women, they – both JMU and Marshall get the chance to go to the road here this weekend to play teams that are ranked higher than them in the net and get quality road wins that could, could make a pretty big difference when it comes to NCAA tournament seeding, especially if one of those two teams ends up being – the team that uh, that makes it out of the Sun Belt tournament, um, and in the women's basketball, compared to men, it's a huge deal if you can get a 12 seed or higher, because for, for men's basketball, you know everything's on a neutral court. If you're a 13 seed or lower, you're playing a road game to start the season. And Jamie saw that last year when they go to Ohio State, they're winning that game pretty handily early on. And that's when Ohio state's crowd wakes up and they're really facing a really good team on the road. And they found out what that's like. If you're a 12 seed, then you're playing a five seed in a neutral court and, you know, potentially even have the home fans rooting for you because that, you know, they're, they're looking at, you know, the chance to play an easier, potentially easier second round game, or they just like to see the underdog win for women's basketball. It makes a huge difference. And I think these Mac challenge games, may or may not kind of push whoever ends up being the Sun Belt champion up a line or two on the uh, <clears throat> on the NCAA tournament bracket. Yeah, I think ha- not facing a home team on their home court will definitely benefit JMU if they do get into the tournament. I think we all kind of know, too, that JMU fans travel pretty well, especially if that game, wherever if they make the tournament wherever they end up, if they can get a good seating, I think not playing a home team will be – beneficial to them with how well the JMU fans can travel. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes a huge difference. Uh, on the men's side of things, um, you know, Mark Byington's kind of 
almost acts like he soured on the whole idea a little bit. I, I think like in the long term, it's a really good thing. But for the men this time around, it's not going to make a huge difference on where anybody ends up as far as, you know, in state tournament, what, what happens to the Sun Belt champion. It's looking like probably a one bid league unless, you know, unless JMU and App State really just just cruise and crush people the rest of the way. I don't think either one of them is getting into the at-large conversation. Um, although, you know, a JMU team, if they can get up into the, you know, 28-29 range by the end of the regular season, that you don't see teams with that many wins left out very often. But but right now, with where they're at in the net and other things, it, it's an uphill climb for JMU to really get into that at-large conversation. I would agree with that 100%. I, back when they were still undefeated, this was when I was traveling for the bowl game for football, I was talking to someone within athletics, and I think even back then they were mentally preparing for the fact that JMU, the men, will probably, will probably need to win the Sun Belt tournament to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah, and, you know, it's it'll be interesting because they're not – I think even if they run off a series of, you know, blowout victories, they're going to climb the net rankings and stuff. They're going to get – you know, I think top 50 is possible, but that's that's not really necessarily in the at-large range. But on the other side of that, you know, I don't think anybody who's had 28 wins has ever been left out. And, you know, you might get to a point where you hear some, you know, outcry and things like that, and I don't know how much that can actually affect the selection committee. They are humans, um, and they say they do things certain ways, but sometimes their decisions don't always reflect that. Um, but it's definitely going to be – I don't think, you know, there's any possible scenario where JMU goes into the Sun Belt tournament not thinking, we better win this thing. Yeah, they're they're definitely entering it with the must-win kind of mindset, obviously, just for – I mean, they want to win the Sun Belt regardless of the or the bid to the NCAA tournament. But, yeah, I, I think if they get to 28 wins and they don't win the tournament and they're left out – or and they're left out of the NCAA tournament, I definitely think they're going to be – some pretty angry people. Um, but like you said, the selection committee, they're people, and they have ways that they make decisions. And sometimes I feel like maybe they're not the best, but they're made for a reason. So I think the safest bet for JMU is to just get into that Sun Belt tournament and just win it. Yeah, and they certainly do have, you know, the fate in their hands because they can go to the Sun Belt, they can win it. Um, they <clears throat> We'll see if they get a, a third chance at App State. I think, you know, tough for two fairly evenly matched teams, tough to win three times in a row if you're App State. So we'll see how that ends up kind of playing out if they get a chance to see each other again. But We can just play the cliche of third time's a charm. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, with that, we do kind of just have to point out that what JMU men's basketball has done this year has been, you know, remarkably impressive to get off to that start. Um, spend eight weeks in the AP Top 25, which – <clears throat> the program had never gotten ranked before this. Um, to spend basically two months ranked is uh, completely unprecedented. They're the fastest JMU team ever to get to 20 wins. Um, you know, it's really kind of <clears> – <throat> it's been impressive even if, you know, you look at those App State games as a disappointment. From where JMU basketball was five years ago to now is really an unbelievable, an unbelievable accomplishment. It really is. Like, prior to January of this year, the last JMU men's basketball game I went to was in the Convocation Center. I want to say 2020, early 2020. It could have been 2019 still. 
And the environment then to what I saw a few weeks ago when I went for the first time was absolutely night and day. I, I couldn't even believe at first that I was sitting at a Jamie men's basketball game. I can't even remember who they were playing for the first game that I went to this year, but it was just like there were a ton of fans. They were loud. They stayed the entire time. They were there before the game even started. And that was just like a completely unreal environment from what I had seen when I spent four years as a student at JMU. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> around that time, I I think back to, you know, there wasn't really a student section, like even designated as a student section. There was a place where, you know, a lot of players' girlfriends sat, and that was kind of basically the student section at I that point. I can't even remember if there were, like, assigned seats at all in the convocation center. I felt like you yeah. could sit anywhere. It was kind of just like, you know, there just weren't a lot of people there. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, to get to that point where now, you know, they're, they're averaging more than 5,000 a game. On weekends, they're you know pretty routinely getting more than six thousand. Uh, completely, completely different dynamic as far as that goes, and it's become a, a good home court advantage for JMU, which um, w- was never really a factor, other than you know the other team might have to travel to get there and some things. Um, that the crowd was never much of a factor at JMU basketball the last several years in the convo. Yeah, I think now too with them being much better than they were when I was a student here paired with kind of the conference itself it's they're growing with their fans fans are coming out more often and yeah I think it's making a huge difference when games start and they get underway and I think we'll see that this weekend too when they earn the challenge yeah so yeah I think there's a decent chance it's you know once again close to a sellout this weekend against Akron um I don't think probably too many people quite understand how good Akron has been this year. Um, you look at them, they're below JMU in most of those rankings, net, Ken Palm, all that stuff. But um, I, I've tried to catch them when they've been on ESPN Plus and stuff, and they've been really, really impressive. Um, yeah, they, they've got a great one-two punch. Um, and it would be really interesting to think of see that that kind of matchup with, uh, you know, Terrence Edwards, TJ Bickerstaff, how, how they respond to guy to a team that has guys basically as good as them at their positions. Yeah, it will be interesting. I, <laughs> I've had a cough for like the last three days. It won't go away. <laughs> so we had a cough kind of hit the room here. We had to take a break for a second. But, you know, <clears throat> we, we were discussing uh, – as JMU gets ready to play Akron, expect a expect a good home crowd there for the uh, somewhat controversial blackout game <laughs> on Saturday. But that's not the only team getting going on Saturday. Uh, I know Katie's going to be over at Centera Park to see a top top six. I about said top five, but technically top, top six. six matchup in lacrosse. Uh, JMU taking on UNC for that traditional season opener between those two teams. Um, how much are you looking forward to uh, seeing that team play? I am so excited. I have become a huge lacrosse fan in recent years, and ever like I just I think it's such a fun game to watch JMU at the right at the start take on a top team like UNC. But again, JMU is a top team itself. Um, I think it the players we had a media day with them last week, and they all seem really excited and they're hungry for a win. 
it's in a group right now that none of them have beaten UNC. The last time JMU beat UNC was 2018 when they uh, actually beat them twice that season on the way to the national title. So you have a lot of players right now that are very excited to get going. Uh, their head coach, Shelly Clays, is she thinks it's a great way to start the season every single year, um, partly why they do it. She says it right out of the gate that you can test yourself against a top team. They will test you physically. They will test you with the speed. And it will really challenge JMU that when they get tired, kind of the decision-making process that they have. Yeah, and it's like, – like you said, it's a game that they really like to play to start the season. And you know, this program basically – they know there are a couple games throughout the season at teams that each year they can kind of gauge themselves against when they're competitive or when they could beat UNC or when they could beat Maryland, who's usually on their schedule as well. That They know this is a team that's capable of, you know, making a run in the NCAA tournament. You saw last year they got the, they got a win against Maryland, uh, ended up beating them twice, um, which was rare for the program. And they make it back to the quarterfinals for the first time since that 2018 national championship um, so, you know, they, Jamie hasn't had a ton of regular season success against UNC, but being the first game of the season every year, it also kind of gives them that opportunity to quickly figure out, you know, where they're going, what they need to work on. Even last year, that wasn't a game that they won, but I don't think maybe they necessarily get the long winning streak and, and get the regular season victory against Maryland if they don't have that under their belt to begin the season. No, I agree. I think it's just it's such a good game to just see what you have. And I think right now Jamie fans are looking at a lacrosse team that, you know, it's undergoing some changes with graduation. It's going to be a team that I think a lot of people know attack-wise is going to be very good. The defense is going to be kind of the interesting piece for a little bit to see how they move players around. But that game against UNC right out right off the bat, I think it's just going to show the areas of weakness that they need to improve on, where maybe they're good and where they're possibly better than UNC at. And I think at the same time, I, I don't want to harp on like UNC being so good because, again, JMU is very good and will be very good. And I know some of the players were saying, like, you know, we look at the schedule and they have eight games this season where play, or teams were ranked within the top 25 in the preseason poll. But at the same time, they're like, every day at practice we're playing against one of the best teams in the country so they're prepared and they're ready to go yeah you mentioned the attack that's there's really no question marks there Isabella Peterson's coming back as you know one of the top five if not maybe a top two player in the entire country <clears throat> is going to rewrite Jamie's record books by coming back this year and um you know everything she's been able to do as a goal scorer um you bring Casey Knobloch back who was an all-conference player a couple of years ago and missed all of last season at with a knee injury, she's another potential All-American type player um, in that attack. Maddie Epke coming back for a sophomore season after a really, really impressive um, freshman year. Um, they're going to score a lot of goals. Last year, they held teams to under eight goals a game. Um, they lose a couple All-Americans on the defensive side. They still have some experienced players, but they're going to rely on some freshmen on the defense, and they're going to get tested a whole lot right away early yeah and you know they gave up 12 goals in a scrimmage to against penn state the other day so i think that's an area where they probably want to see some improvement you know they they want to hold teams to 10 goals or under if they do that they're going to win a lot of games because they're going to score more than 10 goals most of the time mm -hmm. yeah i think you they're going to definitely need to look to keep 
teams from scoring. Um, obviously, against UNC, I think that may be an issue. They're going to score goals. But I think I think the defense will they'll grow into the season. I think it may take a few weeks, but come March, end of March, April, I think you're going to see a, a, a good, strong defense because I think there is still some help there with how they're moving players around between the midfield and the defense. Yeah, and <clears throat> spring ports are getting underway kind of across the board. Softball season also starts this week. They go down to Jacksonville, Florida. They're going to play Jacksonville. They'll play Ball State. Uh, I can't remember who else is on the uh, docket down there in, in Jacksonville. But they're going to get a few games in here early and kind of debut, debut a new pitching staff. Uh, they bring Alyssa Humphrey back, who has been really good for JMU at times, you know, especially going back to the 2021 College World Series run, um, but it struggled with some injuries and stuff. And they're going to move her to the bullpen, it sounds like, kind of take some of the pressure off her. But that means a couple of, uh, you know, freshmen, basically. Peyton List is transferring in from Virginia Tech, but she didn't play last year. Uh, Kirsten Fleet uh, is coming in as a true freshman. They might get a lot of the uh, starts for this team. Uh, and they've never thrown a pitch at the Division One level, so – so very, very, very highly recruited players coming out of high school, but we'll see how quickly they can adjust to this level. Yeah, I I pulled up the schedule. It when they're down in Florida, it's Ball State, Jacksonville, North Florida, and Southern Miss. So it's going to be some good teams. You know, get them get them underway yeah. and get them prepared. But I think it'll be exciting. I think softball is always a fun sport to follow at JMU, and I think. Last year, obviously, first year, really getting tested and maybe not what people were used to seeing. So I think this season coming back, obviously young pitchers, but I think it's a team that kind of, similar to lacrosse, will grow into the season. Yeah, potentially a bounce-back season for the softball team. Um, <clears throat> after, you know, really two years that weren't quite up to um, what the program standards had been. But you're coming off that College World Series run the next year was going to be basically a complete rebuild to begin with. You're only bringing back a couple of players who really um, played much in that postseason run. Um, and then you deal with you know some tragic circumstances that basically leave you without those two power hitters that um, had been a part of that. And so then it becomes like an absolute, completely rebuilding that roster from the ground up at, on top of dealing with what you have to deal with there. And... You know, so now what you're seeing is this freshman class, the sophomore class, are really the first recruits that committed to JMU because they saw them win the College World Series. In spring sports, most of the time, kids commit early. Um, you know, certainly before you know you make a run and finish your season in late May or June, you know your next recruiting class is taken care of. So like. The sophomores, you know, K.K. Mathis, Bella Hinsler, both had really good years last year. They had, you know, these freshman pitchers. These are the kids where you're getting that bump from all the exposure you got what's been almost three years ago now. Yeah, I think it's going to be really exciting to see kind of how that College World Series run helped – or how it will help grow the program. I know when they were in the World Series, I was actually living out in Wisconsin – and every single – I wasn't stopped often if I had, like, something Jamie-related on, but I think I was stopped two times, and both times it was because of the softball team, which is just kind of 
a little unheard of. I feel like oftentimes, you know, it's those bigger sports that kind of get the attention. So I think it will be really interesting to see how the program comes out of the gate. Like you said, it's been a interesting couple years with everything that they've had to endure and go through, obviously. Um, so I think, I think the first, this is a team that I think for the first few weeks, I'm going to be really, really interested to see how they come out of the gate. Yeah. And I think, you know, if you're looking at what to maybe expect from softball, we can go back to lacrosse again for a minute is they won national championships 2018 and then we're down relatively speaking for a couple of years. Um, you know, they had their, their not not issues. They were making the NCAA tournament, but they weren't advancing past the first round. And then now, what we're seeing is, you know, those kids who were committing because they saw Jamie win a national championship, they take them to the NCAA quarterfinals this year. They're back as junior, seniors, fifth year players this year, and they're a top ten team again. And you know, potentially, we see a similar kind of trajectory for softball, just based on how spring sports tend to work. Yeah, I think, well, going with lacrosse, like Peterson is someone who came in after the national championship. So these are players who, you know, watched on the TV when JMU beat Boston College and were like, okay, I want to go to that school. They have a really good lacrosse program. I want to go play there. I want to compete every single year. And I think softball too, I mean, they had the one College World Series run, but even even outside of the College World Series, the lacrosse, or sorry, the softball program at JMU has been really strong for several years now. And, you know, the College World Series is obviously hard to make, especially in softball. There aren't a lot of teams that go. So I think you're starting now, you see, you had girls watching the College World Series. They see JMU go on this Cinderella run, and they're like, okay, well, let me look more into that program. And they see that this is a team that, historically has been competing for conference titles. Obviously, there's been the conference switch now. But I think it will be interesting to see the young players who saw JMU at its highest moment come in now and make a difference themselves. Yeah, and another difference, I think, for JMU softball especially has just been that, um, you know, they have a lot – there's a lot more regional competition than there used to be. Um, When JMU was really kind of starting to make their name as a program – Virginia, Virginia Tech, Duke were not very invested in softball. Clemson did not even have a team. Now they do. And all of those schools and lots of others are seeing the exposure that comes from making that kind of run to, to getting to the NCAA tournament. And, you know, that's who Jamie's recruiting against now and who they're competing against in the regular season and everything. And it's a little bit different dynamic. And, you know, it might take a little bit longer to to get back to that point on top of, you're also competing against better teams in your conference. Yeah, I think it's also important to remember that even at JMU, the softball program is still relatively young compared to like some of the other sports and just kind of other on other sports news like they softball just had their first player selected to the JMU Hall of Fame with Meredith Feltz and she helped JMU win its first conference title back in 2009, I want to say, is the year that they won it. So it's still a relatively young program, and the competition in surrounding schools regionally is also still pretty young. So I think the the softball world is going to be really fun to watch grow over the next five, three to five years. Yeah. <clears throat> We're still about a week away from baseball getting started. We'll, we'll hit them a little harder um, next week. But um, 
we can move on to some football talk because it was a big day over big day over there <laughs> today. Um, Katie, you were there for the press conference to kind of introduce, discuss this recruiting class. They signed 11 in the initial um, December signing day. They add what was it 20, 23, 23 yeah, today, and I think like probably one more coming later this week. Yeah, there's yeah. some more guys that yeah. will come in later. Um, Bob Chesney said today, obviously, there's yeah. some guys that are going to join the program uh, in the summer that from the transfer portal that they yeah. already know are coming. Quincy Jenkins, an offensive lineman, is one of those guys. Um, there's also a pretty big group of preferred walk-ons that they can't announce yet. We are starting to kind of see some of those names pop up who we're pretty sure will be a part of the team. And um, even with the preferred walk-ons, Bob Chesney today said, hey, those are the building blocks of these teams. Like, those are the guys that really make a difference. So it's been a busy morning. Bob Chesney seems very, very excited about the guys that they're bringing in. Um, And I think there are some big names that are walking in the the doors here that have, uh, they've already been here for a few weeks, but today they officially signed with the program. So I think it is going to be an interesting season. I think it's going to be a fun season. And there are some really big names that I think can be playmakers for the JMU team. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see. This team should probably look a lot different just as far as, you know, how they attack offensively. Obviously, you can go back to the last FCS year, it, team threw the ball a ton. You know, the, the last three quarterbacks have put up ridiculous numbers. Um, and they didn't run the ball as much, even though they had a deep running back room for, for a good chunk of that time. You look at, you know, what they have now, there's going to be some questions at wide receiver. But, you know, you're bringing in a veteran, steady quarterback in Dylan Morris. But then you look, the offensive line should be a strength. Mm-hmm. And they just, like, totally loaded up. On running backs, like yeah. that, that are proven running backs. I will say, I I can't remember if I actually ever put out an article or if it came later in an article after they had, they had picked up commitments at running back. But I had said, like, come December twenty third after the bowl game, the running back room at JMU was empty almost. Like they didn't have a they had barely any experience because of the portal and losing guys, graduation that they were losing, some guys too. And they went out and they grabbed running back after running back after running back to pull in. And they're guys who can make a difference immediately and then guys who can definitely make an uh, an impact maybe next season, season after. Yeah, so I, I it'll be interesting to see if this becomes more of a running team. Um, you know, <clears throat> Chesney at Holy Cross, like he always said, he played to – like his player strengths, he didn't have like he didn't come and say like I'm a passing coach, I'm a running coach, I'm anything like that. You know, to the point where you know that quarterback who was leading rusher up there last year. I will say I don't think the quarterback yeah. is going to be the leading rusher at JMU this coming year. Um, I will say Bob Chesney did say today that I mean I think Dylan Morris is obviously the ideal quarterback right now probably who we're all thinking will be the quarterback Chesney did say he would love some competition in the quarterback room which I think any coach wants competition it makes people better so I think it's safe to assume that the leading rusher on the JMU football team this year will be a running back Um, I'm excited to watch the running backs I think last year the run game was lackluster it was just kind of it didn't have any spark to it I think the 
the rushers struggled at times. There were games where they just couldn't find the right holes. And I think, to be fair, I do think a lot of the struggles at running back weren't unexpected. I mean, you lose Percy Ajayobase to graduation, who had long been a star at the position. So I think this coming season will be exciting to see some guys step up that have already proven themselves, paired with, I think, one guy that I'm very excited to watch is George Petaway, coming from UNC. He was highly recruited out of uh, high school, and I think he's someone who will grow into a very, very, very good running back, especially as the seasons progress. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, you know, the running game was a disappointment this past season, I think you know, it's fair to say. Uh, even you know, a guy like Kaylon Black never really kind of got it going. And, you know, running the ball is sometimes a matter of um, momentum, it seems like. You know, a guy gets a carry and he breaks a tackle and then he breaks a couple tackles the next time and then all of a sudden he's just really rolling. And Jamie never got a guy doing that much this past season. Um It'll be interesting to see, I think, you know, with the strength they have at the offensive line, they have a ton of depth there, and now a ton of depth at running back. If that just becomes a focus to try to, like, establish a run a little bit more um, this season. Beyond, I guess, just, you know, the new personnel, the signing day excitement and everything, what are your overall impressions on Bob Chesney and what's going to change at JMU with him as, as the new head coach? I think Bob Chesney so far has been a very fun coach to cover. He is outgoing. He is very open with what he talks about. Um, He's not going to be a coach that necessarily wants to hide information that's coming out. Um, He's very friendly, too. That's just, if you Mm -hmm. see him in the community, I think you can definitely get away with going up and asking him for a photo. He's a nice guy so far. And I think, I think he is, I mean, Jeff Bourne has never, I think, hired the wrong football coach during his time as director of athletics. But I definitely think Bob Chesney is the right coach, especially for right now. And I think he has brought in a lot of good coaches to make up his staff too. So I, I'm very excited to see how first spring ball plays out under him. Um, today he seemed very excited to talk about spring ball and how much he's ready for it to start next month so we can start seeing how these guys are on the field. Um, so I think I I think he is the right coach right now for this program. Yeah, and I think what we see kind of from him too, <clears throat> when you compare him to Kurt Signetti, is that there's not necessarily one right way mm-hmm. to approach things. Um, because both those guys win loss record speaks for themselves. They've they've both gotten it done as coaches, but they're very very different personalities, very different very approaches different. To, to different things. I mean, the fact that you know, Signetti was not a guy who was going to be out in the community very often. Um, he didn't let his assistant coaches talk to the media. He was very much like I'm. I, I think you could call him a micromanager, and I think that'd be fair to say. Um, you know, as opposed to. To Chesney comes in here, and he's got a lot to do, a lot on his plate in the first two months on the job. And I think he did a very, very good job of quickly recognizing, you know, who he wanted to bring with him, who he wanted to keep from the previous staff, you know, beyond even assistant coaches, like the recruiting personnel and, you know, um, to student assistants, to managers, to everything else. He, he very quickly identified who he wanted to keep in the program. 
and then he let them do their jobs mm-hmm. and and micromanage some things or not micro didn't micromanage things he he um delegated his responsibilities well i feel like um more than you know i think the previous staff maybe didn't want to like ever let anything out of their hands yeah and it's like i i found that it's been hard to talk about because i don't want anybody to think that like Signetti wasn't like a good coach to cover because I had a good time covering Signetti. I mean, he was always good for some random funny one-liners. He was a f- obviously, like you said, the wins speak for themselves and what he was able to do bringing this team from the FCS to the FBS. Um, but I think Signetti always, I think, wanted it to be his voice. Like the message that they were putting out was in his tone, the way he wanted it to be said. And that was how it was going to get put out to the public. And I think Chesney now is very open. Like, hopefully in the next few weeks, we're going to get chances to talk to his assistant coaches. He's going to let them share their thoughts. And I think it will be really kind of exciting to kind of get to know some of these assistant coaches because it's not something that fans necessarily got the last few years. I mean, you can look at even Damian Robluski. He didn't talk to the media up until he was named the acting head coach of the bowl game. And then Mm -hmm. he comes out and you find out everything about him. And he's like this really fun guy to talk to really personable. And he's obviously back and on Chesney staff. So I think it's going to be really exciting to just kind of see all of the personalities that come with Chesney staff. And so far they seem to be fun, outgoing people. And they've been really connecting with some of these players, which obviously is the most important part of their job. Yeah, yeah, I think we'll see a lot of different um, personality and just the way uh, things are approached. Um, like I said, I mean, there's going to be there's going to be comparisons between the two, fair or not, as we get through this next year or so. Um, so I mean, I think it'll be very, very interesting to see how those shake out as we get to see more of Chesney just doing his job. Because you know, before too long, we're going to have spring football. And we're going to actually see the football side of what he's bringing here and what he's going to change in that regard. So uh, along those lines, we'll have plenty to talk about here in the coming months. And you know, like I, I said before, we'll talk a little bit more baseball next week as we get into uh, baseball season beginning. We'll have more spring sports to talk about. Basketball uh, will really be heating up as we get in here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and we'll obviously continue to talk football pretty much every time as we you know, get the Purple and Bold podcast rolling again but in the meantime i'm shane metlin i've been here with katie harper you've been listening to the purple and bold podcast from the daily news record and thanks for tuning in